Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the week of 10th of July 2013. It's week two, episode two, and we have yet another podcast covering movies, games, tech, and home cinema. I'm Phil Hinton, editor of AV Forums, and joining me on this episode are AV Forums games editor, Mark Botwright. Evening, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I was Specs. using that 30 seconds to try and think of something. <laughs> you just being ironic, then. <laughs> Postmodern the by actually saying what you <laughs> You were told not to say. Well, if everyone else is going to be original, then technically evening yeah. is original then. Well, just to bring the listeners up to date, I did say to the guys, please don't say good evening, Phil. Think of something else. So, um, Also here, news editor, Mark Hodgkinson. Hi from New Orleans. Uh, audio reviewer, Ed Selly. Watcher. And AV Forums assistant editor, Steve Withers. Back by popular demand. Kicking off this second week of the podcast, the magnificent spectacle that happened on Sunday, we're recording this on Monday, was the Scottish tennis player. Andy Murray finally got the monkey off his back and he also won Wimbledon. Uh, well done to Andy. I don't know if anybody else watched this. Yeah, sure. watched every, sure every agonising sure. minute of it. Uh, I watched the um, I watched that last set again last night. It was the worst second time round. Awful. <laughs> well, I actually watched the highlights as well, and at some point she thought he was going to lose the point. Yeah, even yeah, though I'm he knew he won he's going to lose. He's going to lose. <laughs> that, that, that last game. <laughs> yeah, twenty yeah. something yeah. minutes. Anything like it? Four championship points, and 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 you thought if if Djokovic manages to win that game, yeah, uh, it would. He would, he would have crumbled, I think. So, uh, so yeah, he dug deep and got there. But um, the reason we're also going to talk about Wimbledon is the whole 3D sport angle. And uh, the BBC put out the semi-finals and the finals on the HD red button. But in the same week that they did that, they've also said that they're going to put a hold on their 3D experiment for at least three years due to lack of interest on the public's behalf. And this follows news about four weeks ago, Mark, about ESPN in the States also shutting down their 3D sports channel at the end of this year. So not a good sign for 3D on TV. No, no, it's looking looking, uh, like almost a lost cause. There's really only Sky now that's propping it up uh, in the UK. And you've got to think they'll be watching what the others are doing and well it's it just doesn't look good i mean they'll be doing the numbers i guess at sky if they get if they're making enough on subscriptions uh, against what they're spending then they'll continue but you, you just can't see it if it's if the bbc are, are up in sticks and espn's pulled out then it just looks very very bad for them it's interesting because sky about five six weeks ago it used to be that you had to have the full package with them to get the 3d channel but they've done away with that now, so you get, you actually get the 3D channel on any of the packages, which is a sign that they're struggling for people to watch the content, Steve. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, I think that, that 3D was pretty much dead when it launched, uh, in the home at least. Uh, I mean, uh, Avatar was December 2009, so 2010 was a big, it was a big sort of uh, peak in terms of, attendance at the cinema for 3d movies and you know, things like Alice in wonderland uh, and then um we went to ces in january 2011 and it was just all 3d wasn't it phil <laughs> everywhere you looked it was 3d this and 3d that by the time those tvs hit the market in the middle of 2011 people had already got bored of 3d it was already starting to re- 
attendance numbers in the cinema are already on a decrease and hitting heading below 50% compared mm-hmm. with 2D screenings by the time the TV's actually launched. Yeah. So I think, you know, from that perspective alone, they never had a chance, really. Um, and the fact is that what little 3D programming has been available, and, I, and I've watched some of the BBC stuff, uh, like Wimbledon, uh, not, not this year, didn't bother this year, tried it last year and the year before that when they first did it. And um, one of the problems was the coverage was rubbish in comparison. Well, it's just coverage. limited, limited yeah, camera angles. Yeah, they've only got a few cameras. It. They had a really low camera angle to take the most advantage yeah. of the uh, of the added dimension. The problem was at that low camera angle, you couldn't see what was going on. No, the other side of the I net was a mystery, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I had no idea what the what was actually going on in the match. So uh, yeah, I mean, I also watched some of the Olymp- I tried to watch some of the Olympics in 3D, and again, um, you know, the build up to the hundred meters, there was just one camera pointed at the track. There was no sort of you know, film segments. There was no real build-up. There was a completely different commentary team. I turned back and watched it in 2D because the coverage was infinitely better. So, uh, you know, I think there was a number of issues, uh, you know, a number of factors that, that have caused basically the death of 3D, in my opinion. Um, but in all honesty, it was dead on arrival. So they estimate there's a one and a half million 3D TVs in the UK homes and the BBC were getting as low as 5% for 5% of those 1.5 million for content yeah. they'd spent a lot of money on like the mr stink and uh, a couple of yeah, other well, things I mean, they're still committed to the, the doctor who 50 yeah that's the, the finale yeah, special which it. will be in 3d but that'll be it then uh and i guess we'll see it again in 30 years yeah i mean it was telling the uh, a line that actually appeared on of all places on, on a comedy website but there is a a grain of truth to it um actually more than a grain of truth it's a provable fact in the u.s um there is the sobering fact that more people bought Paris Hilton's last album than have watched a 3D broadcast on their 3D television. Um, and if that isn't the very definition of plumbing the depths, I honestly don't know what is. Um, it doesn't much lower than that, does it? No. And, um, you know, when, in many ways, the BBC stopping it, it, in many ways, it's sort of irrelevant what Sky do now. Um, ESPN was was another, you know, paid uh, paid sort of subscriber exercise when the free-to-air broadcaster has knocked it on the head i don't know where you can grow interest from uh, i mean let's be taking on board all of the stuff we've just said about limited camera angles and all the the you know trying to make the most of it in other words play on the gimmick the the bottom line is that the the source of free 3d has now been knocked on the head and I don't think that bodes well for, for the long-term sort of survivability of the format. When the manufacturers were, were bigging it up, and, and let's face it, they bigged it up big style, for at least two years, everything was just 3D. One of the things that they tried to push, which made a lot of sense, was 3D gaming. And they made a, a big hoopla about, you know, this is going to be the future of 3D. This is where 3D really works. And when you watched uh, demos and you played with the games that were available, yes, it added depth and you could see why they thought it was going to be the next big ultimate thing for 3D. But Mark, it's kind of fell on its face because I don't think, certainly in the gaming world, anybody's really taken by 3D. No, I think it's it's one of those things. I mean, we've been pretty slow on the uptake of HD as well. So, I mean, even though the consoles pushed that, we're still seeing a lot of games that are well below 1080p. I mean, one of the reasons why no one's really talking about 4K with the the next-gen consoles set to come out is because we're still waiting for solid 1080p, 60 frames a second, which was something that we were promised, you know, seven years ago. So 
this idea that 3D would suddenly come along and, and would be perfect. It, it was it was a grand idea, but when you've still got games that have got, you know, kind of screen tear and, and low resolution textures and the like, you know, there were lots of other problems that needed kind of uniformly ironing out before you got to, you know, the kind of little garnish that was 3D gaming. Very little mention of, or if probably no mention of 3D at E3, E3 launches, was there? No, it, no. it just... I, remember, I can't remember it mentioned once. It's just slipped by. I, yeah, uh, I think, though, it, it, it is that classic case of great technology that, at the end of the day, I think pretty much everyone had exactly the same view, which was as soon as they saw the glasses, they kind of went, oh, I'm not going to bother. Yeah, that's it, Mark. I mean, I, I think the manufacturers are so caught up in the technology and whether they could do it, they never actually th- bothered to think whether they should do it. <laughs> yeah, well, most people don't want to sit at home wearing a pair of glasses well, well this a pair, is, this basically is a pair of sunglasses in the lounge or, or in my case two pairs of glasses you know, yeah just, well just to me too. I mean, it's, it's less of an issue if you actually wear glasses because wearing a second pair isn't isn't that noticeable but if you don't wear glasses at all it's actually quite a big step i think and i, I don't think it's that the technology is bad steve i mean you were banging on about 3d for no oh, no i'm not knocking the technology i said the technology is so, amazing yeah but nobody wants it uh you know i love 3d i've got i've got but on a big i think also to be honest 3d's impact is significantly diminished even on a you know 65 inch screen it's not the same as on a big screen either at the cinema or if you're lucky enough to have a very large screen at home you know, like a 10 foot screen then 3d still has a lot of immersive impact once you get down to a 50 inch tv it's like looking through a small window and it's just not the same um, and i think that hasn't helped either um yeah there's, there's, you can you can list a number of reasons why 3d's failed uh, poor quality content is definitely an issue too. Too many post-up conversions, not enough actual native 3D content. Um, mostly, mostly the 3D films tend to be ropey, sort of B B features and low-budget stuff. You know, it just hasn't it hasn't been handled very well. You had a different, uh, not exactly formats, but different approach to delivering 3D, which I think confused the consumer to a degree. Passive and active. I think to a large extent, active seems. I'm sorry, passive seems to have won over just for simplicity, you know, I mean, the glasses are very cheap and they're easy to use and they haven't got to be charged or put batteries in them and they don't have flicker. Um, but even on the active side, you know, they only, it took them two years to get together and actually come up with a, you know, a standard um, rather than having different different types of glasses that didn't work with other people's TVs, which obviously annoyed the consumer as well. Uh, so there's been multiple reasons why this hasn't worked. But I think ultimately, I think no one really wanted, no one was just, no one was that bothered. They were happy to go and see the odd movie at the cinema in 3D. I think no one was really that fussed about having it at home. You, you then have to look as well, when you talk about the cinema, they were charging you extra to go and watch a 3D film. So, I, you know, the cynic in me says it was all about money. And I think the cynic's right. Um, I think they saw this as a money spinner. You could tell that just by the billions that the, the CE companies spent on R&D uh, and getting these TVs out to market probably a lot quicker than they really should have got them out to market because, the, as you say, the content just didn't exist to start with. And with these TV experiments now finishing and only Sky being available, it's, it's you know, they're going to have to lick their wounds, basically, because, as you say, nobody wants the technology. And it's not that the technology is not good, it's just that people don't want... You know, I don't want to sit in my house with 3D glasses on because every time you have to get up and go and do something like uh, take a toilet break, you got to take the glasses off. You got to pause. You got to go. The Reset main thing them. is you got to go and get the glasses to start with to sit down and watch something. Yeah. Whereas if you're in couch potato mode, you, you're just going to watch. 
you just he don't want to, you don't want to be watching it in daylight either so if it's something like yeah. wimbledon you, you're having to draw the curtains on a, on a beautiful day really it's just it doesn't seem right really yes that's yeah. a good point too actually mark it was just it just, just well i mean it was just quite amazing wasn't it phil 2011 january 2011 it was nothing but 3d at ces but january 2012 almost no one was talking about well, it anymore no, nobody was talking about it it had uh, died no. in its first year that means in six months it was already dead in the well, water well just look at look at the stuff that we've been to this year just for product launches nobody's spoken about 3d at all even though the majority of tvs which we've seen this year have 3d built in and they'll they'll continue to have that because they spent too much money not to have it as a feature on on a tv but it will just be a feature on a tv it's not going to be anything else you know the technology is great people are also saying well i'm going to wait till uh, we see glasses free 3d so well there's not much no incentive to, now to, to develop that is there not really and and we we had our closed door demo at ces this year with tp vision who the public face of tp vision is the philips brand they showed us something that they were working on which was glasses free and i've got to say to start with um being used to the toshiba thing where you have to stand in exactly the right place where your head exactly still to get 3D effect, this worked a little bit better. You didn't have to be exactly in the right place and you could move your head and, and you got the 3D effect, but you got the 3D effect, but there was loads of other, other issues with it, Steve, wasn't there? There was lots yeah, of line I twittering, mean, there was lots of things that just looked really odd with the image. And of course, they were showing us CGI animate, animation. They didn't show us any properly shot 3D stuff and it was really difficult to make or give an opinion on, on that. What I will say is if people are waiting on that technology, good luck. You're yeah. I mean, it was away. it was better than I was expecting, in all honesty, um, especially after experiencing Toshiba, which was shockingly poor. Um, but having said that, you're right, Phil, it's not there yet. Uh, you know, it, it could be a long time before they get there. And, and the cost involved, I mean, what they were having to do is use 4K panels, even though the panels they were using could yeah, take a 4K how, how feed. Well, yeah, it's going to be incredibly expensive. And, you know, is it really worth it when no one cares anyway? <laughs> it certainly isn't worth spending, you know, people, I think people would rather have what we're about to start talking about in a second, which is which is a high-resolution format. I think that's just yeah, an easier yeah. sell. The other challenge thing is, I mean, how many 3D products have we had through this year for review? And the manufacturer hasn't even bothered to put 3D glasses in the box. Yep, yep. I'm currently waiting for the semi-sync glasses for yeah, projector. Yeah. A projector whose main selling point is the fact it does triple flash 3D. And they didn't even send me any glasses. <laughs> um, just, just as an aside, are you sure, confession time, that it hasn't been to another journo who may not have been the world's most conscientious reboxer? That never uh, happens. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean I don't want to I don't want to condemn our entire profession here, but uh, every now and again I'm wandering around my listing room and I find a constituent part of something which actually went back several months ago. Like, I've, mm-hmm. I've had lots of things like uh, sweetie wrappers and lipstick uh, at the bottom of the box and loads of other things, but um... uh, no, I think it was the manufacturer or rather the PR company, to be fairly honest. But I mean, it's taken them two weeks to find a pair of glasses to send me, which says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> When the manufacturer doesn't have any, <laughs> you're guessing there's not a massive amount of demand here for them. So just in case people take us the wrong way, we're, we're not down on the technology. The technology works when it's done right, when it's set yeah, up correctly. Yeah, no, absolutely. On a big it's, screen. Well, I, I love it. It is, it is a good experience and it even works to some extent for games and, and, and so on. So there was a possibility of it taking off. The thing is, they're going to get this into the living room anyway now, guys. Um, when you buy your next TV, it's going to have 3D on it. There'll probably be some glasses in the box. 
I guess it's a case of whether there's there's then a demand once they get the numbers up. It's 1.5 million at the minute, Mark. Yeah, that's what they're um, saying. You know, once that gets nearer the 10 million, would will people be more interested? Will they start asking for content? Maybe it's not completely dead, but for this moment in time, certainly the BBC and ESPN have pulled the plug on 3 on TV. And also at Wimbledon this year, it wasn't just 3D. Uh, Steve alluded to it, higher resolution, 4K. Sony were there. They were running 4K experiments, uh, filming certain games and courts. They didn't film the whole thing. They only uh, picked certain courts, certain games to cover with their Ultra HD cameras. And they were showing the results on Ultra HD TVs uh, at the venues. But while they're doing that, and they are launching their Ultra HD 4K TVs, um, in the market, the 55-inch and the 65-inch X9, which hopefully we'll get through for review soon. Uh, they've also turned around and said that they're not going to launch their 4K player or the 4K streaming network uh, that will be available in the US. That's not coming to the UK. So I guess they don't see a market for it just yet in the UK, Mark. Well, I guess it's a bit of a kick in the teeth, isn't it? They're selling these uh, these 84-inch TV. You really want some native content on there. And, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I was quite shocked by that, to be honest. No plans whatsoever. They could have you know, given us something to, to bite at and say that, you know, maybe in a year's time or something. I find it quite disconcerting that Sony aren't, you know, doing releasing the 4K player and the 4K download service in the UK because I kind of assumed that was going to be part of the rollout for the PS4. And I am, um, you know, it's 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 kind of thing. Well, you know, if you want to sell these 4K TVs, you really need to provide some 4K content. I mean, haven't they learned a lesson from 3D? Lack of quality content, no one's buying into 3D. No 4K content, people aren't going to buy into 4K. When when HD was coming along, even though it was a long time between the TVs first going on sale and them actually um, they're actually being content to watch on it, you knew it was coming. I mean, you know, there was HD DVD in the pipeline. There was Blu-ray in the pipeline. There was uh, high-def broadcast in the pipeline. It was all definitely coming. It was just a question yeah, of time. Sony's service was about it, really, wasn't it? <laughs> that's, yeah. all, that's all we got. So, yeah. Samsung have come out this week um, and said that they see a, uh, Ultra HD mainstream by 2017, by which mainstream means, uh, interestingly, 5% of the total market. So that's when they expect to see content coming. Maybe Sony are looking at it the same way and just think it's it's not worth the investment of the infrastructure over here or in Europe because we're about the quarter of the size. Is it it's something like that? Quarter of the size of the US market anyway? Well, well, you're going to have the uh, Blu-rays, you know, made for 4K so you can upscale it. That's, well, yeah. that's what it's going to be. Well, that's what's worried me. At the moment, there, there's an awful lot of, uh, there's awful lot of um, total BS being shoveled here uh, and there's a very large part of, of, of the tech media are shoveling it for them um, about things like, you know, mastered in 4K. Every bloody film's mastered in 4K. Uh, you know, if it's shot in 35mm, it's inherently in high resolution already. You know, to say that is just misleading to the public. And it's the same as when they used to ship um, those super bit DVDs, you know, the higher bit rate. It was just it was just a way of trying to sell products. And sure. what they're trying to make people think that they're buying something that's 4K. It's not. It's a Blu-ray. It's just a normal Blu-ray like any other Blu-ray. Um, you know, I think and, it is the and, people are aiming it at that. Probably the clued up ones anyway. So it, it's just it's a churn. We see it as churn, and you know nothing more. But that, and then you also read this, this week or last week that um, you know they were talking about their t- their current uh, ultra high definition TVs, which obviously have uh, HDMI 1.4 which can only accept 4K at 24, 25, or 35 a second, uh, which 
you know, it's not necessarily going to be the standard in the future. In fact, I guarantee it almost won't be. It'll be 4K at 50, 60. Or, but, or a uh, more. They're, they're or, pushing for more, aren't they? They're 120 is what is, is kind of EBU territory. Now, already you, you could buy a TV that's not going to, it's going to be um, redundant <laughs> in a year or two. Well, when, when um, HDMI 2.0 are coming out, so early next year, probably next year's round of products will happen. Yeah. So uh, within a year, it will be redundant. And Sony's claims about, you know, there'll be an upgrade path. Yeah, I guarantee it won't be cheap. Well, that's it. You're going to have to pay for any upgrade. Um, it was in the detail because there wasn't any detail when they put that press release out. And I've seen a few articles uh, from other outlets making a big fuss about this. And um, like you say, Steve, if it's going to be an upgrade, it means that they're going to have to take a board out and put a new board in. Ain't going to be cheap. And why would you buy one of their TVs if they're now saying to you, well, you know, next year it might not work with any content that then becomes available? Um, I, I can give them a sobering story because I bought the the VW100, the Ruby, uh, when it came out, which was one of their first, I think it's the second 1080p projector they did. Uh, I couldn't accept 24 frames over HDMI. So I was stung on that. You know, you'd think, given it was Sony and they were developing Blu-ray, that they would have had that in the specs, yeah. but nope, nope. I had to buy a scaler to scale up to 48 frames a second and then use DVI because it could accept 48 over DVI um, in order to get around that problem with Blu-rays, which was a pain. Don't you think this is the kind of thing that ultimately dampens people's enthusiasm for this new technology? I mean, we've already seen yes. 3D basically fail because no one really knows. You know, someone goes into you know a big electrical retailer and someone says active or, or passive they just go, what? You know, I've got to wear glasses. I've got to get something else. I've only just, you know, programmed the universal remote. Now I've got to add something else that I've got to think about. And just it's all these extra little bits that ultimately the, the technology gets rolled out. The technology is, is there. It's good. But it's just this strange just, little war between the different manufacturers. They want to get it out first. But in doing so, they kind of jump the gun and ultimately just end up putting off the end consumer. DVD. The one more time they got together. And buried the hatchet and actually put, you know, we'll push behind one format, most successful, you know, electronics launch in the history of, of electronics. Um, the one time they did it. Other, every other time is there's infighting, backbiting, you know, it's... it's but, yeah. but that's because there's lots of money to be made. If if you hit on the, the format, which then the public take to heart and start buying, like JVC with VHS, that's what's kept JVC going over the decades was the fact that it was their format and it wasn't the best format. Uh, the best format was Sony's beta, but it was VHS that won out and, and the, we, we all know the reasons why that won out at the time. And that's what's kept JVC afloat. And, and God love them. I mean, we like JVC, we'll love their products, but I know that the UK guys are always having a face plant because someone in Japan or someone in the marketing department is saying that their latest projectors, which have eShift 2, are 4K projectors. They are not 4K projectors. It doubles the resolution in the projector, but it's still a 1080p chip, and it won't accept 4K content, and certainly the output is not 4K. Yet we've already seen companies uh, like JVC, like Sony saying masters for 4K and so on. It's causing confusion. Like Samsung with LED TV, there is no such thing as an LED TV, but it confuses the market. That's and gonna that's gonna bite them in the arse when OLED finally does come to market. Exactly. In my so opinion. So, you know, this is the problem when, when you get a new format like this. And, and I was excited for a long time about 4K. I'm still excited about it. But I'm starting to have, you know, second thoughts now because I can see where things are starting to move and where companies are starting to move. We had the opportunity to have high bit rate uh, 
to have high colour depth, so higher than 8-bit colour, uh, a wider colour gamut, as well as the resolution jump. But it seems to be that everything at the minute is towards the resolution side of things and not what could make it an excellent format. Maybe there's politics there. Maybe the film companies are saying, well, hang on a minute, we don't want anything more than 8-bit in that resolution going out to the public because of piracy and, and, and that kind of thing. But it just seems to be that there's this perfect opportunity, and there always is with new technology, to make it really, really good. And for some reason, mainly money, and mainly because people want to come up with their own format so they can coin in licensing and all the rest of it, it, it all goes to shit. God, I can follow that up, Phil. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, that that's inevitably what happens, I think. And if anything, if the history of CE is towards anything, is that the abilities of the manufacturers to cock things up is, can never be underestimated, can it? And, and I guess, Mark, the same is very true with gaming. I mean, the, the opportunities have been there to make games outstanding in terms of graphics, outstanding in terms of resolution and frame rate and so on. But for some reason, the politics get in the way. Yeah, I think it's just it's it's a question of who they're actually marketing them to. You know, everyone kind of falls over themselves to try and actually find a way that they, they can kind of qualify using certain buzzwords and the like. I mean, it just... In, I mean, we're seeing it now with the Xbox One and this idea of cloud computing and the like, and as if it's a new idea. Um, it's it's the kind of thing that, sadly, I just think at the end of the day, it will end up putting off the key customers, which is the mainstream market. I mean, you can you can kind of aim towards the the tech crowd all you want, but they'll either see through it or they just won't buy it. Uh, but the mainstream market, if you confuse them too much and you just throw all these kind of buzzwords out there and you try to say this is 4k when it is and and you know as you've just said about kind of led tvs and the like when something does finally arrive they're not going to flock to it because they're going to say well isn't that the thing that's already been out for you know half a dozen years already and we've already seen that it's not that great i think that's one of the reasons actually mark why 3d actual 3d gaming hasn't caught on the way everyone thought it would because for years they've been calling games 3d isn't it they were you know they had three-dimensional graphics but we're actually in three dimensions, if you know what I mean. So I think there's a lot of you know people going, well, hang on, isn't this game already in 3D? Yeah, the same 3DS kind of, didn't kind of, help. Oh, yeah, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, but and again, that's 50-year-old technology that that's using. Yeah, it, it's not great. But again, it comes down to this question of can you market it? The, the, the question of should you market it is completely different and one that never seems to be able to be asked at the highest levels. I think the, the, the rollout of Ultra HD has got... The problem there you have to so many things have to align so the technology has to align and then the broadcasters have to be there and there's just got you know then the retailers and you know it's, it's all got to fall into place and there's just this sense it's, it's just being rushed i know we'd like it fast but a bit like 3d and then the 3d's fallen flat so they need something as we were saying earlier they need something yeah. to launch and to coin it in and it's just it's just seeming a little bit rushed and a little bit fractured at this time it's doing it's being driven by economics and not by by technology they should really be sitting down thrashing out a standard for everything getting yeah. all that agreed now yeah. and then launching it it's not like you know, there's not standards bodies out there that are already yeah. doing this so you know why are the manufacturers not listening why are the film studios not getting involved it needs to get you need to get everybody around the table slap them all over the face with a, a wet fish and say right get sorted yeah and anyone listening agreed. to this podcast who's thinking of buying a 4k panel at the moment don't my advice is don't sit back wait Sit it at least out next year yeah. until until the EBU and the ITU have, have thrashed out some standards until the studios have all backed it, until maybe the um, the Blue Blu-ray Disc Association have come back with some kind of standard for a, for a disc format 
Uh, would, until that all that's be been a, agreed, that would be the game changer for me. Yeah. Goodness. Until all of that's been agreed, uh, or hopefully agreed, uh, you know, you, you really don't want to be dipping your toes into what is sort of very, you know, paying four or five grand for a TV that could be redundant in a year. Uh, despite what, despite what Sony might be saying now, I don't believe them. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think that, that that that'll be tough luck. Um, so wait for HDMI 2.0 to come, you know, be moved, shift yeah. into products. Let's see what comes out uh, in uh, well, the IFA in September and obviously at CES in January. That's the subject of uh, 4K and 3D. I'm sure we're going to come back to it uh, in future podcasts. But let's move things on and let's go to Steve. Because, Steve, what's at the cinema? Well, this week, Phil, I have mostly been watching Now You See Me, which opened actually last Wednesday, which is unusual because usually they open on Friday, but it opened last Wednesday, uh, is a, a thriller a, a thriller about a bunch of musicians. Um, it stars Jesse Eisenberg, who's kind of made a quite a cool transition from being uber geek to, to being relatively cool in this film, actually. But it's got him, Dave Franco, who's the brother of um, James Franco. You've got Mark Ruffalo, uh, Woody Harrelson, who's always good value. Uh, in fact, the whole cast is excellent. There's Michael Caine in there, uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, Isla Fisher. And they're, they're all very good. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're quite charming and pleasant. And, and I think that really helps with the film. But basically, they're, they're a group of magi- magicians who uh, some, a mysterious person gets them all together. They become called known as the Four Horsemen. And they kind of have this big show going in Vegas, you know, like the big, like the Chris Angel kind of shows. You've probably seen adverts for the film when we've been there for CES. You know, this big illusionist shows. But during one of their shows, they rob a bank. <laughs> And then uh, Mark Ruffalo and um, a, a Melanie, Melanie Laurent, who was the uh, girl in um, *Inglorious Bastards*, uh, the French girl in that. She she plays a, an Interpol agent, and Mark Ruffalo is an FBI agent, and they're trying to work out how they managed to rob a bank in Paris from a show in Vegas. And uh, uh, Morgan Freeman plays a, a debunker, a magic debunker, who, who gets involved trying to um, you know, sort of um, advise the FBI in terms of the investigation. And there's another uh, another sort of show where they do something else, and then a, a thriller plot starts to kick in, and there's lots of chases and stuff. It, start, it starts off, actually, actually opens with a magic trick, uh, a card trick to the camera, which is really good. Uh, and you kind of think, oh, great. Um, there's actually um, quite a bit of illusions in it, but a lot of it looks like it's, you know, faked and CGI rather than being genuine in camera illusions. Um, there is some magic in it, but probably not enough magic as I would have liked. Having said that, it's fantastic fun. It's it's a, basically a thriller, lots of chases, um, lots of uh, very cool effects, uh, great cast, very funny at times. Um, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. But if you don't go into it thinking it's going to be the prestige, basically. If, if you're trying to compare it to the prestige and think, oh, you know, which is, you know, purposefully deconstructs the magician's art then it isn't that it's more like whilst the prestige is about magic this is more about like the kind of big um flashy shows you get in vegas so it's, you imagine the film is like a flashy show um it's you know it's, it's directed by louis leterrier who did um, clash of the titans and transporter 2 you know it's, it's fast paced um you know, you know the camera's constantly moving the camera's almost like you know a participant in some of the shows because it just weaves around the stage so much but um you know it's just just a great two hours it's very exciting good fun very funny uh, lovely cast um I, I recommend it thoroughly i i, I think if you want a nice fun two hours at the movies you can't go wrong and in fact this year's been pretty bit disappointing in terms of a lot of the films that have come out films that i've really been looking forward to that have let me down so at least you know you, I, i'm quite happy to sit there for two hours and be entertained and i was thoroughly entertained so oceans 11 but were magic that's basically the premise. Yeah, it, that's actually not a bad. That's actually a good pitch. It's you'll like you'll like it. You'll like it, but not a lot. But you'll like it. Uh, so that's fact, what... as you're looking at the poster, it's it is just like Ocean's Eleven's poster. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm trying to work subliminally. You see, I haven't even seen the film yet, and I could tell it just by the pitch that you gave there, Steve. <laughs> uh, remember to breathe as well. So, just to wrap up on the movies, uh, what's coming soon? Well, um, in, at the cinema next week, we see Pacific Rim, uh, which is uh, Guillermo del Toro's new movie um, about giant robots and giant monsters. And that opens on Friday. Um, so, this, that'll be yeah, this Friday. And uh, in terms of Blu ray reviews, uh, as Simon mentioned last week, Cloud Atlas is coming, which I recommend strongly. There's Identity Thief, a comedy with um, Ju- uh, Justin Bateman and um, I forgot her name. I have to stress that if we were talking about this, I, as far as I'm concerned, this would be comedy in inverted commas. I, I honestly thought it was about as funny as drowning. But you know. Oh, you saw it, did you? I, 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 for, my, for my sins, I saw it at the cinema. So, yes. What are we talking about now? Um Identity theft, thief, theft. I wish I knew, Mark. I wish I knew what we were talking about. <laughs> There's a review of Runaway Train, uh, Oz the Great and Powerful in 3D, and The Evil Dead. And I guess it's who he'll be reviewing that one, I suspect. He also got just got up Chris's epic uh, seven and a half thousand word review of The Howling. So let's move on. Let's go gaming. Uh, Mark, what's the latest on the new console news? Um, I suppose, you know, a couple of the big, well, not really big stories, kind of the things that slowly kind of eke out that now that Microsoft are trying to play things a little bit more quietly, they're not putting their executives in front of, uh, in front of interviewers quite so much. Uh, one was the kind of confirmation that Japan will be an in quotes tier two country, which basically means essentially they're, you know, they should release the Xbox one at some point there in 2014 and and by and large it sounds like they've pretty much given up there um which is conceding defeat and obviously shows they they are putting you know all their eggs in one basket in that kind of u.s shaped basket and hoping that they can integrate it into every living room there um but a couple of little things which was um there's a game called fez which uh it's been a long-running dispute with the makers of it where they they were going to get charged to patch it, so to fix the game. Um, they were obviously against this. Microsoft have long had this policy that, in fact, if you if you charge for patches, because obviously it takes, you know, it's something they have to build into their infrastructure for for online connectivity, but also it stops people rushing out games and then just deciding to kind of hit a release date and release something in in half finished fashion. This though was a case in point where um, the makers said, well you know, we don't want to pay, you know, if you want to draw people to your console and with an exclusive, then you should, you know, make it free for us. There's been a lot of talk about the Xbox One losing out to the PS4 potentially with regards indie developers because they're going to block self-publishing and charge for patches. And the news is, is that Fez will get patched now. So the hope is perhaps this is, you know, a quiet, another quiet little U-turn where Microsoft are looking at their restrictive policies and perhaps it means that you might see things like um daisy the the armor 2 mod that's currently on the pc that kind of thing actually transfer to the xbox one as well because the the chap who's made that dean hall was talking that you know he did want the ability to self-publish and you had to be able to release updates and patches whenever and free of charge they're having this little kind of reshuffle. There's lots of talk about, you know, with uh, uh, Don Matrix moved I mean, on like to Zynga. He'd yeah, gone this time last week, hadn't he? Yeah, exactly. And so there's there's lots of talk they're reshuffling behind the scenes. A lot of people are kind of quite worried that they'll drop in someone who's just, you know, this kind of window-shaped ball buster who will just kind of, you know, 
crush any kind of creativity. As, as long as Steve Ballmer's not going to be the face of Xbox One, then then it's got no hope if it's him. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, I think it's it's at least it's a one small little sliver of hope that they're they're seeing the error of their ways and that they're they're in a period of self reflection. If in the six months coming up to a launch, now's the time when they really need to kind of nail down their policies for the for the coming you know six seven years. I'm actually swinging back a little bit towards the uh, Xbox One now, since the since that PS4 news and the 4K. Quite upset with Sony right now. See, I, I'm not a true gamer anymore, Mark. I, I just, I'm, I'm in it for the features. Bring on the Xbox One. Yeah, but what is a true gamer anymore? You know, I don't know. there. Yeah. Well, there was research come out. Um, was it this week um, about the the average age of the UK gamer and the like? I think it was something like um, 35. 35 single. <laughs> No, no, no! Lives, it was, lives with his parents. No. I think that 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 has gone now, really. That no, idea. that was, yeah, that was a surprising thing. I think it was something like thirty-five and about twenty-three k. <laughs> well, no, there, there was news that pensioners are now one of the fastest growing yeah. um, sectors of gaming. Or which Candy Crush on can, Candy Crush. I mean, even even my mum is playing Candy Crush on Facebook. Yeah. But th- but this is the big kind of hurdle, which is whenever these surveys come out, they they usually make out like it's it's some kind of groundbreaking. You know, the the age is going up. Yeah, it's gone up from but, thirty four to one hundred and seventy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the the point is, is that gamer no longer means what it used to mean which was someone who would play hours and hours a week if you play a game you go into facebook you happen to play 10 minutes of a game you've played a game you are therefore a gamer you know in the same way that you know everyone reads everyone's a reader but you don't poll people about who actually reads anything each week you know the idea that somehow it it makes you a different breed of person because you happen to have played you know a couple of minutes of angry birds on your on your iphone or something I think it's 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 a kind of defunct concept now. You know, it, it's pretty much accepted that it will there will be this very wide demographic. Well, do you think do you see well, the likes of smartphones, tablets, and then the Android consoles that are they're going to hit the your console and the like as a threat to Xbox One and PS4 sales numbers? Do you think do you think it will be the money will just be split too thin? I, th- I think that's exactly the reason why Microsoft are going for this idea of one console, you know, input one integration, because, you know, you're going to slowly see at some point a box. I mean, you, you can count. Well, all the Windows 8 apps will just shift over, won't they? You'll be able to download, presumably, Windows 8 games onto the console, would you? Would yeah. you think? I, I would I would assume as much. I think it's it's that idea of, you know, what Apple have shown, which is, you know, monetizing small micro games and the like earns you so, so much more than, than spending, yeah. you know, a hundred million dollars building something for five years to release, you know, yeah. when hey, you I downloaded no um, a real ra- real racing three and the eight racer for uh, from a Nexus seven and it's so it's free to download and it's a pretty polished game you know it's, it's good fun and then it's the microtransactions and, and if, if you don't decide to pay that whatever it is 50p to do something then you have to wait two minutes and if there's two things need doing to your car it's a pound you know and i can see how they make the money for, for the impatient if you just want to get on with that game you could spend a fortune you, could, you seriously could yeah it's, it's, I'm, I'm really tight i haven't bought i just wait <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, you know, everyone's looking at these kind of different economic models because the fact is that, you know, releasing a, a console at, you know, £400 
when 60, you're in a time 60 pounds, of 60 pounds a game 55 pounds a game whatever they are exactly these. during a global recession it just doesn't seem like you know a sound strategy going forward that you can do that ad infinitum you know that we've all got boxes under our tvs multiple boxes that can you know netflix and iplayer and all these other things that you can already put kind of apps on things and you've got smart tvs it's it's all about what's going to be that kind of portal to all those small little slivers of content you know if it, everyone wants to be that one box that you you know that you order your pizza from that you you call a taxi through and that you you rent the movie through i mean it is interesting you look at wwdc which happened uh same time as e3 um and apple were saying that they've paid their developers that app developers now that's not entirely games but their app developers, $10 billion um, in royalties. And now a high percentage of them is games. If you go to App Store, you know, the most popular stuff is the game applications and so on. Uh, so a good chunk of that $10 billion must be going back to the games makers. It's a huge platform for them. And if they can do the same on Android, um, it, like you said, you know, is, is there going to be a need for these consoles under the TV? A- another box under the TV where... Um, as tablets get better, as as laptops get better, as mobile phones get better and faster and, and more memory, oh. faster chips, you know, do you need the console? Well, you can throw a game from your tablet to the modern TV. Some of the some of the top of the range TVs, you can be playing a game on your tablet and just chuck it on the TV and play it there. So you know, you've got 1080, in 1080p. You know, it's not it's not the it's not the same as a full on console. You know, straight PC game, but. Still, you know, you've got a limited amount of gaming time. You might have 10, 15 minutes. It might be ideal. Okay, so um, before we move on, uh, we have the Games Podcast coming up on Sunday. Uh, so, Mark, what kind of things can we expect uh, in that? He says, turn on his page. Yep. <laughs> um, well, on that, we will be discussing, uh, he says, quickly opening up a browser. Just bear with me. Right, this month we'll be discussing uh, Double Fine running into a bit of trouble with Kickstarter. Um, Love Film, perhaps phasing out game rentals and the ramifications of that. And uh, looking at what we've been reviewing, uh, probably a big one will be The Last of Us. And that's the one that everyone's really been talking about. And perhaps looking at a bit more zombie action with The Walking Dead 400 Days downloadable content. Just remind me, my Last of Us hasn't arrived from Amazon. <sighs> It's great, the ending. Would you play it? <laughs> yeah, t- yeah, tell me, Andrew. Go on. So I read it a week ago. <laughs> to wrap up on this week's podcast, Mark published an interesting story uh, on the front page about soundbars. It is one of the fastest growing sectors of the audio market at the moment. And who can blame people for going out and buying soundbars? Because, let's face it, guys, we look at every new TV uh, that is released during the year and very few of them uh, have decent sound. Very few of them sound uh, very good because they're so thin and you can't get around the laws of physics, Ed. So let's go to you first. Why do TVs sound so bad and why should people start looking at soundbars? Well, um, we, we have had this conversation. It's a personal hobby horse of mine. Um, essentially, the general public was asked, with no other caveats to this question, would you like a thinner television? And it's like, well, how could I possibly not want a thinner television? And 
the question that possibly should have been asked is, would you like a thinner television at the expense of it not having room for anything else except the screen? And they might have gone, well, hang on a second. Does that mean it will sound like a 1950s radiogram? And the answer is yes. So we've got these incredibly complex and incredibly good televisions out on the market at the moment. And by and large, looking through Stephen Mark's reviews, um, it's it's an exciting day when any of them make it towards being adequate. I think, yeah, I, th- I think we actually do get a bit carried away when it is. I think um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, relati- relatively, that's excellent. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know about you, but adequate doesn't blow my frock up over much. Um, so effectively, we're at the stage where if you sim- simply want to get anything close to, say, the sonic performance that we used to accept out of the whacking great 32 and 36 inch CRTs, um, you are looking at an external speaker system of some description. And the soundbar market is now sort of fairly fairly strung out so we've got at the bottom end of it systems which are literally offering little more performance than than, than just that getting you back up to the level you might have expected from a well-sorted crtv 10 years ago which sounds terrible when i put it like that but is broadly speaking the truth all the way through to much more sophisticated and capable offerings which are ambitiously uh, and in some cases with some justification, offering the alternative to a full fat five channel system with AV receiver. So, I mean, there's a, a huge, when we talk about soundbars, but we are talking about a sort of 2000 pound spread all told when we take some of the more esoteric examples yeah. into, 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 into being. And, you know, within that, the, 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 the sort of net result, the net driver is, is because most modern televisions sound unbelievably bad. And the convenience, there's a convenience factor, isn't there? They're easy to accommodate. You can just lay them flat on the rack and you're done, really. Quite yeah. tidy. I mean, Quite tidy other, as well. The other thing, obviously, when you're dealing, I mean, we, we've been tracking the, the increase in average screen size, not the sort of thing that we're going for as enthusiasts, but finding its way into an average lounge. Uh, the, you know, a couple of years ago, it might have been a bit of a, a stretch to have a sort of three foot long speaker blend seamlessly into a lounge. Yeah. But when the screen is three feet wide, it's of no consequence whatsoever. Yeah. It's 42 is the new 32 as far as this Yeah, it's TV a completely sensible into, uh, item to add, to add to the list. And these things are combining and manufacturers are, I suspect, really hoping for a, a perfect storm here of, of these factors combining to really drive the market. Because, I mean, we've discussed in previous podcasts, AV receivers are, they're certainly not a growth area. Niche. And, and, and we could, uh, you know, we, we could make a, a cogent argument for them being being uh, at the end end of the line so you know this could be the next big thing so yeah i mean there's there's a, a huge amount of potential in the market steve i'm picking up on on ed's points there you know the other big plus point for soundbars and and let's get rid of some of the myths now i mean ed mentioned at the beginning there that, that sounds some soundbars are on, only getting you back up to sort of crt levels but yes there are some fantastic sounding soundbars nowadays uh, that come with subwoofers whether that's wired or wireless and they look good so one of the biggest hurdles for any enthusiasts that are in home cinema or anybody that wants to get home cinema is is the other people that they live with, whether that be a, a partner, wife, whatever. It has to fit the living room. It has to look nice. And that's one of its big plus points. Definitely. I mean, if you start from the, uh, you know, the initial conception that m- almost all televisions sound rubbish these days, then you need to find some solution. And, you know, that's the best word in the world. 
um, you know, getting five or seven speakers into a lounge is never easy, regardless of who your partner is, or even if you live alone, you know, you might not want to do that. You may not want to have a lounge with speakers all over it. So the soundbar, not only um, does it improve the quality of the sound of your television, but obviously it, it, it's, it's a quite simplified, you know, and attractive solution to that problem. Um, now, not all soundbars are created equal, of course. Um, there are definitely, I mean, we, we've reviewed quite a few soundbars now, and I can speak from experience that there are some that, that have been very well thought out. I mean, I was quite, I mean, I think, I guess because they've been in that game a long time, longer than most, I was particularly impressed with the Yamaha's um, soundbar because they seem to have thought of everything. Yeah, I got um, to admit, reading that review, I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, that should be. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything every, was every off box. the checklist. Brilliant. Yeah, and and you know there are times where you sort of, yeah, we we reviewed soundbars, for example, where the connections are in the subwoofer, which uh, means you got you can make the soundbar tidier and easier to install on a wall, for example. But it doesn't mean that you're limited in where you can put the subwoofer, yeah. which which kind of limits the, you know how how much you can smooth the bass in the room. So so that's one one. And now with the Yamaha, all the connections were on the soundbar. Now obviously it was a lot bigger than some of the soundbars but i have noticed a worrying trend now uh certainly i've seen a couple this year that they've got really small and thin it's like well no that's just going back to the problem we've already got with the tvs <laughs> don't make them small and thin because they're going to sound rubbish again um so yeah you need a decent sized soundbar now there is the other extreme of course there was the golden ear which uh wasn't really in my book a soundbar i kind of define a soundbar as something with built-in amplification uh, and, a, and a matching subwoofer and some connections. It was a, it was a Trojan horse it, centre speaker. Yeah, it's a big centre speaker. <laughs> get you to buy the rest of the kit when you can afford it, it. It sounded great, but, you know, at a thousand quid, then you have to go and buy all the amplification to go with it. It's kind of, yeah, calling it a soundbar was slightly sneaky, I think. But I quite like the soundbars. There's, there are a couple of soundbars, and certainly Samsung do this, and I know Panasonic do it as well, where the soundbar can be either a soundbar, as in traditional single bar, you know, speaker beneath the TV, or it can actually be turned into two stereo speakers if you wanted that sort of wider stereo separation. So um, there, there's, there's, there's lots of interesting solutions out there. And as you say, Phil, they, they are um, both convenient and relatively straightforward to install and obviously attractive and less imposing than an AVR or, or a sort of a seven, seven or, or, or um, five speaker, you know, all in one system that you might buy, which includes, you know, obviously, you know, you've got another box with a Blu-ray player and amplification in it. Um, you know, pe people... And let's be honest about this. When I say people, I'm usually mean girlfriends and wives, uh, aren't always that keen on, on, on someone stringing speakers all over the. Hey, what about boyfriends? Come on, let's not. Or boyfriends? Yes, no. Although, but yeah, they, they are. They, they provide a, an easy, uh, relatively cost-effective, in most cases, some certain <laughs> notable exceptions, um, uh, cost-effective and simple and elegant solution to, to to the inherent problem that most modern TVs sound rubbish. So, Mark, you've uh, you put a story up on the front page, um, avforums.com. What have you put in that story to help people along if they decide that soundbar is the way for them to go? The benefits of having HDMI, uh, which brings with it audio return channel, which simplifies things a lot. Uh, it, it's more of a convenience thing rather than a, a sound quality issue because you can carry you can carry all the bandwidth you need uh, from an optical uh, cable. We looked at uh, just different price points, uh, the ability to have even a smart soundbar these days, you can a connected soundbar, where you can access uh, yeah, online features, video on demand, that kind of stuff. Uh, the flexible solutions, are, as, we, as we alluded to before, the one the soundbars that can disattach and become separate. 
And that's just a, just a general overview, really, of what's out there. I think wireless subs and wired subs are quite cool. Too. Uh, wireless sub obviously gives you a great deal more um, flexibility in terms of positioning it, as long as it's not also being used as the main connecting point yeah. for all the HDMI. So, so you know, if, if it's if the connections are on the soundbar itself and the wireless they're sub... All, is they're just, almost all wireless this year, aren't they? The, the yeah, pack, pretty the much. Packages. Yeah, that, that, that obviously gives you a great deal of um, flexibility in terms of positioning. It's like, obviously, obviously, you do need a, a power socket. Talking, into, talking about why friendly, um, I reviewed the uh, Paradigm Shift soundtrack. You can't say that. I've got That's a wife. Sexist. I've got a wife. She's, <laughs> this, I mean, this is a real life story. Uh, she actually said for the first time ever, I like that subwoofer. It was attractive. So uh, that's that's a win, isn't it? I like well, that sort of how have they made a black box attractive? It does look nice. It's like a leather leatherette finish to it. Oh right, right. <laughs> very attractive. Some nice so more, more suede is what we need. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's a nice looking. It's a bit like a, a land speeder from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> this this is one thing though. I mean, we're laughing at this, but the custom install boys have been doing this for years, where you could have uh, leopard skin covering on your speakers or put your own designs even match the wallpaper on the speakers and so yeah. on. It's only going to be a matter of time before the big CE companies and the sound companies like Yamaha are, are going to get on board with that as well and, and cotton on and think, well, you know, if they can sell it to clients, we can come up with some fancy stuff to, you know, what's the most popular wallpaper or wall covering to make things look nice, Ed? Well, I mean, there's there's a sense that actually, uh, in in some regards, it was sort of sort of been tried before by various Japanese manufacturers at various times, and it go neat. It, it feeds neatly back to what we were talking about with 4K in miniature. It's launching the wherewithal to do so before anyone was interested in doing it, had the wherewithal to do it, or there was any other company supporting it. But yes, um, we've already seen um, conventional box loudspeaker manufacturers. Um, admittedly a little bit further up the price point they're offering the ability where you can order your speakers in any pantone shade that's commonly available um it's just a slightly longer lead time um i think for soundbars it's going to be difficult to offer it quite as flexible as that but they might want to take a, a um a learner lesson potentially from peugeot and it may be the only lesson they ever want to learn <laughs> from peugeot um where you could buy that horrible one with the little the little one with the sliding doors that had the get up and go of a, of a, of a glacier you could change the um the, the dashboard trims you could go to your dealer and say actually i fancy a completely different color and you could pop different rings uh around, trim rings around the bits of the dashboard and um I think you can now do the same with the Audi A1. You can do the um, same with Citroen. Citroen are, are now doing that with the DS line. You can specify whatever colour you want. Well, there you go. You see, that's... If you Hang can, on a minute. If you aren't, have... um, aren't Lerv already doing this with soundbars? You can get it in different finishes. Well, and that shows, it well, shows yes, how much of a cave about. I've been living in. But the, if you keep the basic chassis the same and you're just changing pop panels, it's a practical and, 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 and very intriguing proposition. Because if the, the model becomes a strong enough proposition and the manufacturing question isn't absolutely obsessed with keeping everything under, under one roof, you could then see third-party suppliers starting to provide more interesting finishes that the manufacturer themselves might not take a punt on. I guess it kind of comes back to what we were talking about with the AVRs. You know, Steve, you raised the point that you know every AVR looks the same. <laughs> and that, that's always been the case. You know, it's a big black box with knobs on. One of the suggestions you came up with was, was designer. You know, make it more designer, make it more appealing, make it more so it fits in with the living room. And, and now that sound bars are going that way, we're going to see manufacturers start to offer all different kinds of customization as well. 
um, it could be a resurgence for that area of the market. Yeah, I, th I think it, there's one thing that's become quite apparent over the last few years. People are far more conscious of uh, their lifestyle and their living environment than I think have ever been in the past. I think most people now are, you know, have become quite quite sort of lifestyle conscious in terms of not just uh, the, the look of things, but also the way that they interface with those those products or the way you know the way that they're, they integrate into their into their living space. It's all become very important, and and for things like soundbars and even more so AVRs to survive, they need to uh, realize that fact and 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 adapt to to, to a changing environment. And, and definitely, soundbars have the potential. I mean, it's already. A huge market that's it's growing every year they had the potential to really you know give given their their simplicity and inherent attractiveness um that they have an opportunity here to really tap into that new lifestyle conscious uh, consumer okay well that is all we got time for this week that wraps up the podcast my thanks to mark Botwright, mark hodgson steve weathers and ed selly thanks very much guys thanks phil thanks phil cheers phil Thank you, Phil. Evening, Phil. <laughs> that was a thank you, Phil, there, Steve. Don't forget you can keep up with the latest news, uh, breaking news on the forums at tvforums.com. If you want the latest in gaming news, views, and reviews, the gaming podcast is live on Sunday. That's Sunday the 14th. And don't forget you can also follow us on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash avforums. And you can also keep up to date on Twitter at avforums. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Yeah.